Good morning and welcome to Sips of Sanity. I'm Kelly. Hello there. I'm Karen. Sips of Sanity is our mini podcast series. It is solely focused on emotional and intuitive intelligence tools. So there are five shows in this series. They run the first uh, first week of every month, Monday to Friday. And they're just focused on one topic every month, which is really great because you can continue to build that that toolkit. The other four shows you can join us for later this week on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Karen, mm-hmm. you have prepared this month's Sips of Sanity as usual mm-hmm. um, and done a ton of research. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, you are presenting a topic that you are most passionate about, mm. which is narcissism. Mm-hmm. And cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So you've been following, um, oh, Dr. Romney. Yes. <laughs> you reference two people very frequently, and I interchange them. So Dr. Romney is on YouTube, and she talks a lot about narcissism. We've told people to go visit her channel if they're struggling with things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. But for this purpose, you have put things together for our channel to help people um, just co- kind of compartmentalize the different types of narcissism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Les Carter, uh, he's another person that I, that I follow and I listen to a lot. Dr. Sam Vaknin is another one. Um, I'm trying to think of where else I went. I think it was mostly to those three. If there's any other ones, I'm going to let you know, and we will let the patrons know For sure. um, on patreon.com. How's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been studying these for a long time. I'm not a clinical psychologist, neither are you. We're not saying we are. These other professionals are <laughs> the clinical psychologists, the psychiatrists, the psychotherapists. So what I did was I watched all of the di- their different shows and I tried to pull different points out. And the reason that I'm doing this is because we need the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. We need to understand and know what something is called because quite often when we don't know what it's called... We let it perpetuate. We stay in the pattern even though it's there. And somebody can point it out to us. And we know we know it exists. We just don't know what to do with it because we don't know the name of it. So what I wanted to do, especially for the people that are listening to the show, they know how much we talk about the people pleasers. Well, the people pleasers have got to have an education around narcissism because quite often you attract each other. You will often marry each other. You will, people pleasers will be raised by narcissistic parents or grandparents or whoever's raising you. There's just, there's such a huge portion of our population now that have problems with narcissistic behavior. And I want to be specific about something. We're just here trying to say, here's a bit of education. We're not trying to say, here's some education, go diagnose. No, no, (laughs) that would be irresponsible. Right. And we're not trying to say, hey, you get to walk up to somebody after you've listened to some of these explanations and say, you're a narcissist. A (laughs) nene. Yes, exactly. You don't, you don't, that's one of the things you're going to learn is that you'd never confront a narcissist by telling them that they are one because they're going to rip you to shreds. Mm -hmm. You'll never win that argument or they will do all of the things they do with withhold and get quiet and then people please. They're going to go right into their game as soon as you hit a trigger. 
So the intention here in the five shows is to go through as many forms of narcissism as we can squeeze into five shows for you. Because man, oh man, Kelly, I did not realize how many forms there are. And here's another point. Psychologist, psychiatrist, your dia, is it called the DSM? Yep. Yeah, it's numbered because it's, oh. it's constantly developed. But that's... Oh, that's my point. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying. Um, it's constantly adding more. So whereas 10 years ago and five years ago, I was learning about basic narcissists and the covert and the overt and malignant. Now we're hearing vulnerable. Now we're hearing more and more types Mm -hmm. of narcissists. And it's important because they're starting to identify that the covert and malignant narcissists aren't the only two. People were trying to say, I think my partner or so-and-so is a narcissist, but they don't fall under these two kinds. So more and more coming down the road, which is good. We need to know these things. Okay. So there are notes here. Um, Hang with us. It's going to be a tough week. You're going to be upset as you listen to some of these things. Um, Hopefully Kelly and I are going to do it in such a way that, that you're going to be happy to get educated about it. And we hope that you want to get to Patreon to get more tools and go to these other people's sites. We really want to encourage you to keep getting educated. Okay, so before we jump into what we want to talk about today, which is cognitive dissonance, um, can we talk about narcissism first so people have a general idea of what that means or what that looks like? Mm-hmm. So there's different qualities of narcissism, right? Um, generally speaking, a narcissist has a tremendous need to be in control. Okay, so that's one aspect, and we can chit-chat on that if you feel like it. Um, and because there's different kinds of control, right? Some people might go, oh, that's covert. That's, that's just where it's out there. No, there's covert, overt. There's all the different kinds of narcissists. They don't all do it in one particular way, but deep down they're looking for control. And some of them are going to go, well, I'm a people pleaser and I'm still looking for control. Mm-hmm. You can have people-pleasing narcissists or narcissists mm. who practice people-pleasing in all the right spots. That's correct. You, I like the way that you said that. You can have narcissists that practice people-pleasing. That's perfect. I'm thinking too, like a spiritual people, the enlightened oh, people-pleaser, yes. raging narcissists. Oh my God, yes. Okay. The second point today is that narcissists have little to no empathy. They have no desire to have empathy. That's not on their radar. Mm -hmm. Their own needs, there's such a fear their own needs won't be met all the time. There's so much anxiety that they have to stay, they stay in that anxiety of what's my next need, what might I need, what might I need in the future, what didn't I get that I wanted in the past. There, there's, there's so much insecurity there mm-hmm. that they can't step outside of themselves to have empathy for another person. Now, some of them can be good at faking it, especially if they know that their partner's empathic. They might use the vocabulary. They might lie to you and try and say that they're empathic, but deep down they're not. So you, you have to you have to really be able to You have to really be able to observe them. Um, The next point here is that they have a tremendously high sense of entitlement, which is so confusing, eh, Kelly? Because you think, wait, didn't you say they're extremely insecure? Oh, absolutely. 
And the insecurity is what scratches at their entitlement. My, I, I have to be really honest because I'm not a narcissist. Sometimes I read some of these and I, I think of them. I can place them in people, but I can't wrap my head around some of it. Oh. I, sometimes I have such a hard time. And then I think of an example and it's like, oh, okay, I see how that plays out. But I remember reading some of it and going, What? I always think of an insecure toddler oh, and, and things can make sense to me. So if right. you've got a toddler where the parents aren't, just just don't create good boundaries or consistent boundaries. Mm-hmm. That kid really never knows if a need is going to be met. And so mm. they can scream and cry and they cry out to have their needs met right. and they can act entitled yeah. because I have to demand that a need is going to be met because I really don't know. Right. That's a, That's an excellent analogy. I think if you make someone a six-year-old in your brain, anything can make sense. That's really good. Okay. The next one is that they're exploitive. And I'm going to put right along with that one is that they're fabulous manipulators. Mm -hmm. And so over time, you'll see their manipulation and how they are exploitive. I think when I say exploitive too, I want to take a pause there because some people I know I found it easier to see the narcissist exploiting others before I saw them exploiting me because my people pleaser didn't want to see that because I was addicted to the people pleasing. I still want them to like me. Yes. Get how fucked that is. Mm -hmm. So I was better at first of watching how they exploited other people. And it was like, oh. And then I remembered being stupid enough to think, Oh, they'll never do that to me. They'll just do it to other people. Oh, as long as they do that to this friend in the group, they won't do it to me. I'm not going to be the one that they're going to bully because I'm such a people pleaser. They're going to like me. And like all of that is childish. All of it is, it's immaturity. Mm -hmm. And boy, I'm going to say I didn't hit maturity till I probably hit like close to 50 years old. I got that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) 50 ducks? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Just wanted to be clear <clears throat> mm-hmm. because you, when you're people pleasing, you do, you really don't understand what maturity means. You, you, you might think it means paying the bills and taking care of the kids and I've got a job and I've got, I garden and I do this and I do, you know what I mean? Like you think you get things done and you think you are of a certain body or age and that you've accomplished and I've got life insurance. You have responsibilities, but it doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean you are very responsible yeah. for your own self. Yeah. So it's hard then to be able to see where someone's going to be exploitive and to be manipulative of you when you're so geared to people, please. Mm-hmm. That's why there's such a freaking strong attraction. Another point is that they don't really need anybody's input. So you you might think they do, and you're happy, it's Friday night, everybody's hanging out, and they talk, and you, you forget. God forbid should you forget they don't need input. <laughs> and you just launch in and try and insert your little wisdom or your little anecdote, and they will let you know. They may let you know right in front of everybody by talking right over you. Or they may let you know by repeating exactly what you just said. Like, you don't exist. Oh, that happened to me a lot. Where what I said was repeated so that everybody in the circle kind of had to ignore me. Let's respond to this person, not her. 
So they pull, they pull other people into their behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to create an alternate reality for you. So the narcissist exists in an alternate reality. And if you're a people pleaser, you are too. Hence, the reason why you're attracted to each other, because you're both operating out of those alternate realities. So how hard is it for you to just make your way into theirs? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're people pleasing. It's just, it's just another step. And it's an easy one. But it's not one that they're going to reciprocate and do for you. Though you believe that if they love you, they will. Not going to happen. But if you have that belief and that hope and you're positive and you say your affirmations... I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Then you think eventually you're going to be worthy enough that they're going to see that and do that for you. It's not going to happen. Or it will happen superficially just to keep the bait there. Mm -hmm. You know, and Dr. Romney calls that breadcrumbing. When they just give you a little bit, a little bit, they just give you breadcrumbs so that you'll stick around for this, all these behaviors. And lastly, Kelly... Narcissists can create wonderful personas for the public. They can be so outgoing and funny and kind and show up with things people need, so generous. They do things purposely to really have other people like them, sometimes way more than even the people pleaser can do. They will outshine you. Mm-hmm. And, and they have to do that. Because they know that when the day comes, if it ever comes that you've caught on to all of this, if you learn all of this, if you if you try to get to the truth or you leave or you do anything, they have to be prepared because they know there's a shit show going on. They know before the people pleaser knows. People pleasers are often the last people to catch on to the alternate reality. And so they're ahead of you. So when you try and leave or when you try and quit the job and you want to go and, and you work somewhere else, they're the ones that will badmouth you and make sure you don't get the job or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's it, for, that's it for this part of okay. describing what a narcissist is. Mm-hmm. So let's start with cognitive dissonance. Do you want me to begin yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. I, you know what? I feel very much like I'm going to be a listener and an active audience member this, oh, this week. Okay. Um, because this is not something that I know inside out. Oh, okay. So the cognitive dissonance, um, I'm going to explain it generally first. So this occurs where there's an imbalance in three things. And it can be the imbalance in what you feel, the information, and how they present themselves the other person. And the dissonance part, the cognitive dissonance occurs because they don't gel together. They don't match. They don't match. So you could meet a person and they present as very kind and very intelligent and very, very into what you're doing and ask you questions. And so you date them and you, you, you're really invested in the relationship and maybe now you're living together or you're, maybe you're married And parts of their character come out that are totally the opposite of that, where they're disrespectful of you, which it just is hard to understand because 
They were so nice to me. So it makes no sense to you that the way that they're behaving is not what you expect from them or what you knew. And now the way that it makes you feel is not the same as when you first met them. So there's a disruption here. These, these three things don't go together. And the feeling that you have where you can't make sense of this stuff means that that's your dissonance. That's your cognitive dissonance is when you sit in that space of confusion and where your feelings are like, I don't know how to place this. I think about that game that we had as children where you have a bunch of little shapes and they've got little, you know, things to hold with your fingers and you had to place them in, in the different, you know, matching shapes. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're first developing your spatial skills, you might take a square block Mm. and see a round hole and, Mm. and your brain is like, I know this doesn't match, but I'm trying to wait, hold on. And, but, but the brain can't go elsewhere to see what a match would actually look like. Oh, that's operation. No. Oh, is that's that? a surgery game. Oh, that's what I thought you meant. No, there's, there, I can't remember what it was oh. called. You had to put them in and then a timer went off and it all blew up in your face. But I wanted to oh, focus on the part really? where it was just that shapes. Sounds being like put. a horrible game. It's blue and yellow. It's from the nineties. I'm pretty sure. Huh. It was very stressful, which so is cognitive I'm dissonance. So sorry I gave that to you. <laughs> No, but my point was when your brain is trying to make something fit, like you're taking what's in front of you, which is the hole, the object that's supposed to go in a hole, and then that satisfaction of it sliding through, when that doesn't work, your brain's like, what, what's happening here? I can't make sense of this. Right. And so there's that pause or that paralysis sometimes where what do I do if I can't make sense of it? That's your dissonance, is in that moment where you don't know what to do with it. And as a result, now you're going to have to, you have to shift something here. This is where dissonance occurs. That's when you have to think, maybe I forgot something. Maybe maybe I made a mistake and and I didn't understand what they said. Um, Maybe I'm not smart enough to know what they said. Um, Maybe they're just in a bad mood. Oh, they're having such a hard time at work. And it's been, it's been a decade they've been having a hard time at work, but you know, that's just how things have been when that guy works with him at work. He always comes home and, and he has a bad day, or she does. So you, you have to somehow create a belief system to somehow try, as you said, to jam that and make it fit. So make that you sense can, of it. Th- yeah, make sense of it, even though it, it, it doesn't make sense of it. It doesn't because they have other choices. So you somebody's have, brain just blew up. Yes. So the, so the cognitive dissonance occurs when there's a belief, a behavior, and a feeling. Those are the three components. And when those three components don't line up, you have to change one. So if they don't line up now, you might have to change the way you feel. I'm just going to shove my feelings down and I won't get angry. He's been rude to me, but I can't feel what I feel. Shove down, good mood, people please. There's your dissonance. Or I'll change a belief. It must be me. It must be because I'm the one that doesn't understand. Or you shift a behavior. 
Well, if I just don't put the milk down in front of him and I move it off to the side, should I put the milk here so it doesn't offend him? You do something and you try to fix your behaviors. Now, I know because I've done all three. Yeah, same. Yeah. Sadly, if you have lived with a narcissist, you have done all three of these. And you will constantly be trying to assess which of the three to do. Because sometimes if you move the milk out and they still lash out at you, freak. Now, it's I can't just change the behavior. i got to change something else. So then you have to be ch- change the belief. If you change the belief and it still smacks you in the face, then you have to change the way you feel. And then eventually you learn, huh, if I just change the way I feel first, I don't have to struggle with the other two. You are on fire today. Well, I've lived it. So, I mean, yeah. I know that. <laughs> but I, I want to point something out. And I don't know what my intention is in pointing this out other than to just praise in general. I know you've lived the majority of the things that we're talking about to help people with emotional intelligence. Oftentimes you'll come with main points that you want to make and you can get tangential with great explanations and examples and things like that. And you are just so um, systematically hitting every mark today. It, it mm. is, it's organized in a way that I've never seen you prepared for before. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to confess I've rewritten these notes probably three times so that each time, because I listened to different mm-hmm. clinical psychologists, different psychiatrists, they all had it worded different ways. They all presented it differently for different understandings. And then I had to, I, I remember sitting back in the, um, my art room, which was my form, formerly my treatment room, <laughs> but because of COVID, it's become my art room. I sat back in there and I was trying to really place in my life how cognitive dissonance destroyed it Mm -hmm. and how it impacted my parenting abilities, Mm. how it, oh, I want to cry, how it impacted my ability to be a good friend and not be a good friend because, oh man, the grieving's deep. Because when you realize that the cognitive dissonance means that you're the one that's changing your beliefs, you're the one changing your behavior, you're hiding your real moods, the people around you do not know how to connect to you. And that means your own children. Mm-hmm. That means, well, your part, if the person that's doing it to you is your partner or is your parent or your best friend, they're not trying to connect to you anyway. And the whole point of that is just the biggest slap in the face is that the person that you're doing all of this for has already disconnected. Has yes, they've they've already disconnected because of all of their own issues. It has nothing to purpose. do with you. Yeah. And then they act it out with you because that is their behavior. They need their own therapy for that. But you come along and do that because this is the way you've been raised. So when I say raised, I don't just mean by your parents, I mean by your schools, I mean by your religions, I mean by politicians. Oh my God, cognitive dissonance in the political arena is unbelievable abuse. Unparalleled. Well, well I'll give religions religion. yeah, parallel. Okay. Yeah. Church and, and state. Yeah, and I'll also give school systems. You know what? Thank yep. you. I'm I'm glad that you said that. I want to backtrack mm-hmm. and take my own statement back because if I think of residential schools, yep. which 
was a result of religion, um, you are correct. Yeah. Absolutely. School systems. Yeah. And I think, anyway, so the cognitive dissonance occurs. You had a fly over there? What a third host here (laughs) who I'm currently trying to kill. (laughs) Better than Parker in the corner. Um, So the cognitive dissonance occurs because your feelings can't be truthful. They cannot be deeply rooted within you. Cannot because the other person is going to engage with you to constantly keep you like in a tennis game, running to the next one, to the next one. It's, it's usually never ending. And you may have some moments where you actually get to relax, where you get to be peaceful. I.e. when they're not there. Exactly. But maybe not even. Yes, not even. Because what occurs when they're not there is that that training has to sit within you so that you constantly have to pretend that they are there. Or they're just about to come home. Right. Even if it is in a month, even if it is in six months, if they're in the military, even if it means that they travel every two weeks of every month, whatever it is, when they, you, you, you eventually just live in that space and, and the seeds stay deep and grow beautifully even when they're not around. So it means that you're probably going to train other people to be in their cognitive dissonance, which means your own children, your own coworkers, your own friends, because they, if they try to approach you about your dissonance, those three areas, if you don't understand the word and what it is, you're going to be so buried in your confusion that you won't ever be able to, first of all, hear them. You can't hear them. You'll, you'll, you'll listen to the words, but you won't be able to pull it in because you won't understand what your own brain and your own emotions are doing to you. You just won't get it. I'll, I'll bring that back to one of the statements we, we currently made, or pardon me, recently made in mm. our book club discussion about people pleasing. And that was that we often have a hierarchy. So the narcissist is typically at the top. Mm -hmm. Now, and I I used in the example that I might people please you because you're in the room with me right now. Mm -hmm. But if my partner walks in, I shift my priority Mm -hmm. and people please him over you, which Mm -hmm. is very confusing for you. But then if my brother walks in, now I've got a hierarchy of if Andrew's around, it's him first. Mm -hmm. If partner's around, it's him second. And mom, you know, if they're nowhere near. Well, mom will go out and garden. But my point being that we, the hierarchy often includes the narcissist or the worst narcissist at the top. Right. Whoever that is. We're just pulling examples. Could be your boss. Yes. And it could be that you see that with coworkers. I think this is a great example in friend groups that are unhealthy, where you see the hierarchy of how people change. And I remember watching this with certain people in my life, being able to see who the hierarchy was for that person, Mm -hmm. depending on who came around. And you could see, oh, it's this sister. Oh, it's this brother. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the dad. Oh, it's it's this um, um, brother-in-law. You could see the hierarchy changed as people arrived. Same with the workplace. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've managed quite a few places here in the city, and I've also done coaching within different companies. And you see who those bosses decide to people please, and it's their narcissist employees. Oh, I think that's a perfect example. Because we often think that just because someone is in a management position, that they're the narcissist, or that they are mm, 
the one that's actually got leadership. And then we find out, no, they don't. The boss isn't even running the place. Yeah. The the entry-level employee. Yes, it can be. the raging narcissist is. That's right. And it could be a... I remember working in a government office where I had been working there for years. And a, a young woman came in. She was like out of high school. And she was such a full-blown narcissist that right from day one when she walked in, holy crap, she ran... She ran the entire office of all the uh, government workers, all the inspectors, the manager, everybody. She was like 20, 21. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's neat. People might be like, well, okay, we're on a tangent. Yeah. There's an entire generation that was just raised to be narcissists. Oh, yeah. And they're all in the workforce now. Oh, yes. And then I would say too, Kelly, that I think that there are gen there are groups that you could look at in their 70s that are political. You could look at, like in all different areas, you could look at a religion and go, yeah, I see it there. And this is an older group. Yep. I I know that, that what you and I both would like people to know is that it's not just about that it's age-related, no. but we certainly can see it. Prevalent in groups. Yeah. yeah. And, and certain types of narcissists in certain generations. Not that there's rules, because heaven knows the narcissist doesn't abide by the rules, um, but you can see patterns for yes. sure. Now, I'm not sure if I derailed you, so I'll, def I'll defer back to you about where we are in your notes. So I just want to bring in one more point here, in that when you're in that cycle where you you see the good in them, then they come in and they mistreat you. Now you have a feeling you're not comfortable with. There's your cognitive dissonance. You have to do something to alleviate your emotional distress. So when you alleviate that emotional distress and you do something, whatever it is that, it, that you choose to do. Of the three. Of the three. That's where you get stuck in the pattern. Because you then you turn the valve, you open up the release. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you might fix it for them. You might move it. You might make the excuse of, oh, God, I misunderstood. I, oh, you know what? I don't think I remembered right. There's your releasing the valve. I'll blame myself. Mm -hmm. And you open the, the valve just to release. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. Because every time you, every, the first time that you do that, so say you take on the blame yourself. That's shame. Now you create the cycle and that explains why you stay. Mm -hmm. That's why you will stay in the job for decades. That's why you will stay in the marriage till you're dead. I, I want to point out early on in show one here before the rest of the week gets rolling that the very tools that might be healthy or actually are healthy in a good, healthy relationship mm -hmm. are tools that will not work with the narcissist. And, and I just want to point mm -hmm. this out on purpose because... I can't count the number of times you or I have looked at each other and went, I'm sorry, I must not have heard you properly. Mm. I'm sorry. You know what? I don't think I remembered that correctly. And in this kind of a healthy relationship mm -hmm. where it's not about one person running the roost, having control mm -hmm. or needing a control over, it's a very healthy dialogue back and forth of proper responsibility. Mm -hmm. If one of us was a narcissist, that tool is no longer helpful. It creates cognitive dissonance. Yes. Perfect. Just so people aren't like, whoa, I got to throw that tool out. No, no. 
Keep mm-hmm. it with your healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. But catch yourself if you're defaulting to it in the unhealthy relationship. And you should know you're in an unhealthy relationship by pulling out your emotional wheel and by being able to look at the unhealthy part of the, well, won't call it anger, um, sadness, was the other one? Surprise. Surprise. Like take a look at the wheel so that you can identify what your feelings are. And I'll offer, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong or off base, if you have a hard time looking at that part of the mm. wheel and identifying with any of them, that in and of itself should be a red flag. Mm-hmm. Because you may be at a point where you have buried those those um, connections to those feelings. A hundred percent. Some people will look at the wheel and say, I don't feel any of those things. I don't feel anything at all. That's your indication you're in a relationship with a narcissist and you have cognitive dissonance, period. Now, let's say at the end of every one of these five shows that if you need to see a psychiatrist or therapist, please do so. So let's add that for all five of these shows because this is not like we just want to help educate because this is related to your emotional intelligence and this is related to your intuition. Mm. And we could go on and on about how being in a relationship with a narcissist will completely destroy your intuition. It will knock out your self-esteem and self-worth, which is necessary in developing your tools. Yes. And then it will eat your organs. Oh, And then it will wreck your pelvis. Oh, yeah. I can go on. It'll seize up your back muscles. It'll seize your neck. It'll throw you off balance. No, no, don't. I can go on now. No, I know. I was going to tag that and go, you won't just need your therapist. You'll need your physiotherapist. You'll also need um, an RT, right? Like it's going to be, or an OT as well. Like it's just, it's endless of the, the health team that you'll end up needing to recover from these relationships. Right. Mm hmm. So this is day one, cognitive dissonance. And we I did this on purpose for day one, then to go into the next four days of learning as much as we possibly can on the different kinds of narcissists. Okay. I, I want to personally thank you mm-hmm. as your co-host um, for being so organized and putting this together. I think you did a beautiful job. Oh, thank you. I also want to thank you just as an audience member as well um, for for being so passionate about these topics Mm. and so passionate about education. Um, Because I think that what you're offering um, listeners, if they're just here for the free show or if they are, you know, Mm -hmm. joining us with Patreon or Patreon, um, it just, the worth is immeasurable. Mm. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you have questions, you can email us at info at com. We can respond personally through Patreon if you're there with us as well. We can also make it part of our uh, question and answer period through Patreon. Um, You just let us know how you want us to respond. As we mentioned, the other four shows this week will be on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. We encourage you to join us there. And if you have time today to like or subscribe or both to your favorite podcast platform and YouTube, we thank you in advance for that. It just helps us get a broader reach with this kind of toolkit for everyone. Have an excellent Monday.